0: Episode 120, Angelo Ponzi, CEO of The
1: Ponzi Group. The Ponzi scheme has become synonymous with any kind of scheme.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again so this is the place for honest reflection and conversation personal growth and professional success visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com for links show notes and more you can go to slash mistake 120 please follow rate and review the podcast if you like the episode please share it with a colleague on social media That would be great. Thanks. Our guest today is Angelo Ponzi. He describes himself as a fractional CMO or chief marketing officer, a business advisor, a marketing architect, a keynote speaker, and an author. He also has a podcast called the Business Growth Cafe, and he is the founder and president of the Ponzi Group, his company. So Angelo, thank you for being here today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. But I love conversations like this. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it, you um, do a lot of interviewing, and so the tables are turned a little bit today. Hopefully, the, the, that'll be fun for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Who, what marketer doesn't like to talk? <laughs> that's, a good,
0: that's a good question. Yeah. Do, do, do marketers tend to be extroverted? or uh,
1: I, I think so. I haven't met too many introverts that are, are in the marketing side. Um and so it certainly makes for a dynamic room when there's a bunch of us uh, in there all trying to uh, jockey for position. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so before we talk about um, your favorite mistake, I mean, I, I do want to ask you, and I mean, it's the elephant in the room. It, it, it's got to be a challenge in the business world or starting a company with the last name Ponzi. That's not your fault, but that's, that's yeah. a challenge or is it funny?
1: Well, you know what? It, it's it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic because uh, it it is brought up every day, at least once. Usually, the the first person I talk to, which is actually you today, um, I was just uh, skimming the news on my phone, and and there it is once again: the Ponzi scheme uh, by somebody in Hollywood. I didn't get the details yet, but um, you know, so probably the biggest challenge it, it it was years ago in my, uh, when I had my advertising agency we worked with a lot of financial institutions. So you can imagine that came up very quickly. And so we used to take bets and my partners and I, we would place bets and I would say like within 10 seconds and they were like, Oh, you're foolish. Nobody's going to bring that up. They don't even know us. Sure enough. I, I won pretty much all of those bets. And, um, so it, it, I won't say it's been a challenge, but it certainly has been prevalent. Uh, Madoff made it infamous. And and what I, it's interesting, what I think it has become is this, the Ponzi scheme has become synonymous with any kind of scheme. Because a lot of times they're calling out, like I was watching a movie the other day, and I go, like, oh, it's a big Ponzi scheme. It had nothing to do with it, what the Ponzi scheme is about. It was just somebody was ripping somebody off. So. So it's like Kleenex and Xerox, right? They come synonymous with copying and tissues. And now Ponzi has become synonymous with schemes. (laughs) Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll move past that. Yeah. In in my mind, that wasn't necessarily a creative or unique question, but I I felt like at least wanted to bring that up. Uh, But I
1: do use it to my advantage. Anytime I present, uh, I use it within the first 30, you know, Okay, when you heard my name, how many, raise your hands, how many people thought of the Ponzi scheme? You know, I get a lot of laughs and smiles and giggles. Sure. So that's my icebreaker.
0: I guess, yeah, use it to your advantage, right? Absolutely. Did, did you ever consider not using your name with the businesses, though? Or, I mean.
1: Well, it, it, and, and I'm about ready to rebrand, actually. Um, so the, the Ponzi Group, which is my current business, was actually my business that I sold about, about 15 years ago. And uh, about three years ago, I was cruising on GoDaddy looking for some URLs. And for giggles, I typed in the name and it was available. So I, I bought it back and I sat on it for about a year. And then I said, hey, you know what? It was uh, it, it was successful once before. It, it was, you know, some great vibes. So I'm going to use it again. But um, I spend more time not talking about the name. So we've decided to, to rebrand. Okay.
0: So let's let's move past the name. We'll talk about other things here. Um, you know, looking back at the different things you've done in your career, Angelo, um, what what comes to mind for you in terms of something that's a favorite
1: mistake? Well, you know, I'm going to, and this is hopefully education for people as well. But I'm going to go back. I have several here that I've jotted notes down, but probably the biggest one was my first venture into my own business. I was young. I was about 23. And I was uh, working for an advertising agency, and we were doing a lot of commercials. And I'm, so I met production people, and I was really interested in that side of the business. And they convinced me that we could start a film production company. Uh, I was the money guy. They were supposedly the people with the leads. And um, so I jumped head first, never asked a single question. I just totally believed what they were telling me. And in and out in eight months, um, you know, so that was a huge lesson that to really do due diligence. And so that was a costly mistake because it had been, you know, money my parents have been saving for, you know, when I got out of school and give me a little nest egg and I blew it all in one shot. Um, so that kind of made it a little difficult going down the path. So that was probably the biggest lesson mistake and lesson that I learned early on.
0: Is it does it go into that category of something better to learn that early than later? I'm sure that stuck with you and influenced how you evaluate other opportunities, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, when I got to my second time, which was only seven years later, I spent a lot of time doing due diligence, <laughs> trying to understand, you know, what the opportunities were. The people that I was partnering with asked a ton more questions, and and so that actually consulting a job that I started or a company actually morphed into my agency, which I eventually sold. So I was very cautious about, about doing that due diligence and making sure that I had the facts.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it was difficult to avoid having the pendulum swing too far in the other way of, of being too cautious or I may imagine after that first time um, you've got to figure out how, how to trust other business partners again or
1: well you know what i i would say you you would think i'd learn a lesson but i actually didn't uh because i jumped headfirst into a uh, investment that i saw a lot of my friends in and uh it it went sour and you know we we lost a bunch of money but but once again it was that trust and believability because other people were doing it. People were telling me, "Hey, I'm this is great. I'm making a lot of money." So you know, you you, you have to. For me, anyway, you learn those lessons. You re- get reminded of those lessons along the way, and uh, so it, uh, it took a few times to uh, get me to, to think a little more about jumping head head first into things. I'm a little impulsive when it comes to that. Yeah.
0: Um, so, thing back to that that film production company was that going to be. In the advertising space or meaning films like Hollywood commercial releases.
1: Yeah, it was commercial. So what, what they convinced me, so I'm in Orange County, California. They convinced me we could bring Hollywood to Orange County. What did I know? You know, I had stars, I was ready to go. I was had these visions of ultimately moving from marketing to be a director. And, you know, I was had done some things on set. And what we found very quickly is that didn't work. And so we spent all our time in Hollywood, but we spent more of our time really as per crew, as opposed to our own work. And then those guys, so I'm 23, they're 45 and 48 respectively. And they, they got disenchanted very quickly and and drifted and left me, you know, holding, you know, rent, the building, you know, all this stuff that we had jumped into, uh, because they just didn't care anymore.
0: Oh, gosh. So instead of bringing the work or the big names or, or Hollywood down to Orange County, you ended up on the road a lot,
1: I'm sure. Yeah, Brutal, working in LA community. every day. Yeah, every day we'd drive to LA and, and uh, you know, hire ourselves as crew and, and, and work that. So the, the vision wasn't there, but more importantly, when they um, uh, changed their, their direction, I didn't know enough, right? I didn't have those, even even the production connection. So I found myself once again, you know, out in an Island without really understanding it, you know, those days, which is another mistake I've made over the years is, is not maintaining that network. You tend to work a job, you move to a job, you forget about the, maybe the people that you're working with. And, and so several times throughout my career, I've had to rebuild that network because I, frankly, I walked away from it when I didn't really need to just, stupidity.
0: Yeah. And I think there's another really good lesson there. Um, I think, yeah, you know, if people are searching for a job. I've, I've heard people say the time for networking is when you don't need something. You're maintaining those relationships. So then when you have maybe a need or you're in a situation where you reach out, it's not as awkward or it's not as transactional if right. you're maintaining those connections.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maintaining your network and and networking is work. I mean, if you have a broad, I mean, I have a broad network now and just to touch base with, with the key people. I mean, it, it's a job, (laughs) you know, and and it has to, and I plan it out now, you know, each day I, I reach out to one or two, just to, whether it's an email or a quick phone call, or just because I need to stay present and stay, you know, top of mind. And, and that's, you know, where, frankly, where a lot of my referrals come from these days is that network as opposed to new business activity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Great advice, Angelo. So I'd be curious then to learn more about your work in your business and how you help um, clients. What, what, what does it mean? How do you define marketing architect within the realm of marketing or advertising or different activities?
1: Sure. So, so. What I do is I, I I focus more on the strategic and analytical side of marketing, not the tactical. And I'm always looking holistically at the organization. And so I get involved. You know, one of my clients, for example, I mean, I oversaw sales. I got involved with manufacturing and the inventory management and HR and finance because I really pushed myself into the various departments. Because whether we're successful or not successful, it has an impact on the entire organization. That's the way I believe. So for me, in looking at as a marketing architect, I like to say you wouldn't build a house without having a blueprint. And that's really what we're doing is we're setting the foundation, the blueprint for growth. And so we spend a lot of time looking at either conducting or looking at market research, trying to understand the market, the competition, the prospects, the customers, You know why they buy, why don't they buy? What's going on? And we're using that information to leverage on positioning and messaging. So we'll do a lot of branding work, but just not the not the visual branding, but the messaging from a branding standpoint. And then I work on a lot of strategic plans. Where do you want to be in three years? You know how are we going to get there? And it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be acquisition. And so that's where kind of the marketing architect, right? We're building that blueprint, which is you can. Well, you probably can't see on my little screen here. Maybe you can cuz it's bigger on yours. But it says marketing architect. And, and so the new brand of the company will reflect that more of that marketing architect. And then what we like to say is once the plans are in place, we become general contractors. And then we manage external teams to to, you know, build off the blueprints.
0: Yeah. Um have have you announced what that future brand is or is that coming down the road?
1: Well, interesting. Um, You know, it's the it's the cobbler in his son's shoes. Uh, My my target was January (laughs) first. Here we are, March or April seventh, and we're probably another two or three weeks away. I because I have to go back and redo all my videos. I have to go, you know, change the website, all the material. So it's it's we're really trying to to take our time with it, and of course we have client work, so that you know my work goes on the back burner.
0: Yeah. Um, So I'm thinking back to, you know, my uh, MBA days and and that education. And I remember one thing I learned, it might be a misperception amongst people is when we think of marketing, people really think often of advertising. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you could sort of talk about that, that misunderstanding and how important it is not to just come up with like a slick ad, but to really think about, positioning and, and messaging why, why is that so important to a business
1: right well at the end of the day you know advertising whether it's print it's tv it's digital you know whether it's trade shows whatever it happens to be those are the tactical those are the channels of communications but ultimately you need to make sure you understand your customer I Have a mantra of mine know your customer so i spend a lot of time really digging into the nuances of What's important to them? What are their motivations? What are their buying behaviors? Is there multiple people within the companies that you're targeting to? Because you have to be able to speak to them. And that's where I think is one of the most important aspects of, I'll say, marketing as a whole, because you're trying to understand how to communicate and be relevant to within, within to that customer. But then you also have to look at vertical markets. You have to understand. You know, market shares on the competition, who owns what, what's brand perception? You know, what if you're so I've just completed a study, for example, with a software company that wants to launch. We went out and understood how important the product is to the marketplace, what feature sets are important to launch with, because they had 10 features, we only need five to launch. So we just save them a ton of money and a ton of time so they could get to market quicker. We have to understand. You know the scope of the competition. Who's the leaders? You know when you come into a marketplace and and you're like these folks, they're a challenger, right? They're not a leader. That that's a different way to approach the market, a different way to speak. So marketing really gets into those nuances and the and the you know the devils in the details in the sense of how do you map that growth and then the you know the channels of communication and that's advertising and trade shows and PR and you know, social media, that those are how to deliver that message.
0: Yeah. So are there certain industries that you tend to work with? Who, who are your customers as a marketing architect?
1: Sure. So um, I, I'm fortunate I've been on both sides. So B2B and, and B2C. So I've, so my speak is I've literally worked with a semiconductor manufacturing equipment all the way to ice cream. So So, based on, but I believe in the principles of marketing as opposed to that I have to be an an expert in a specific vertical. Why? Because ultimately they all apply. And if you understand how to get information, you understand how to utilize information, I can deal in any category. It's it's really what I don't like to play in, and that's usually pharmaceuticals. But other than that, I've worked with a lot of software this year, uh, startups to probably. $50 $50 million software companies. So manufacturing and distribution, but I've also worked on apparel and shoes and um, started getting back into some alcoholic beverage. So, so very diverse uh, client base. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So well, I'm curious when you work through with a company, I think that question of like understanding why somebody buys your product or hires you for a service. I, I think that's a really interesting thing for business to understand do you find sometimes that um clients of yours you know without naming names or anything too specific of course do they they have some mistaken understanding they think people are buying because of this and it turns out to be something different are you helping them sometimes unearth that or is it more a matter of refining their understanding
1: it's both actually um Like I'm working with a company right now who came to me and said, we think our messaging is off. We think, frankly, our our company vision is off. And so we did some work to understand that, you know, a 35-year-old company that they started adding stuff to who they were and and therefore confused the marketplace about what their offerings are and how they're positioned. So we went in and we clarified that and, and kind of put them on the right path. And now we're going back and changing how they speak by by understanding the needs and wants of the marketplace. They have a couple of different uh, customer bases, and so we have to understand how to speak to you know that user versus the other user. And we also always look at the overarching company message. So it really kind of depends. Um, I worked with a, a company in the uh, commercial Christmas business, if you will. And one of the things I noticed when we started working with them, they were always talking to their clients, potential clients, about how great the product was and that it was, you know, ultimate quality and wouldn't weather and blah blah blah. At the end of the day, it was like, who cares? What you want to tell them, who their customers were, malls and entertainment centers, that we're going to create memories for your customers. People are going to want to come to your mall or come to your entertainment center because they want to have pictures and selfies and and, and experiences with their families. That's what you're creating with your products. That's the way you need to talk to them. And oh, yeah, it's quality stuff, too. It'll last. Right. That's the the reason to believe us. And so the whole way they spoke, and this was a 30-year-old company. And so they totally changed how they spoke to their customers. And they had five different vertical markets. There were more when we started looking at them, and we were able to narrow it down to five where their revenue was going to come from. Talking about marketing, we were able to dig in and understand that if a company bought today, or a mall, let's say, they wouldn't buy again for three years. They might you know, do some upgrades, but they would never make a big purchase. So we were able to map out cycles. We were able to, to look at if they made an installation in the Midwest, they didn't have people there. We had to go find installers. You know, we looked at how could we grow? Where should we have warehousing? So, you know, from a marketing, strategic marketing standpoint, it's much more than I need a social media campaign or, you know, upgrade my website. Right.
0: Sure. Those are tactics. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are there you've, you've touched on a couple of mistakes. It sounds like, you know, companies having messaging that's off the mark or unclear or inconsistent, inconsistent messaging There's a mistake in trying to talk about a mistake, inconsistent messaging or not understanding their customer is another mistake. Um, are, are there any other mistakes that you see companies make in general? Is there, is, is there something that you then in your work try to help them? Is there a mistake you avoid, you help them avoid
1: making? Right. The I would say, you know, six out of every 10 calls I get It's, they want to go right to tactics. You know, we need lead gen. Okay. Well, you know, who are we targeting? What do we want to do? And, and, and they're unclear. They just know they want to generate leads. And, and so I, you know, tried to push them upstream because I feel sure I could do that, but I'm not sure the messaging is going to be right. I'm not sure the way we communicate. And so again, I, I feel a lot of companies are in a hurry. And don't take the time to do the due diligence to really understand it. When you get into large corporations, which I've worked with, a lot of them can't even launch their television commercials that we see today from big corporations because they have to do copy testing. It has to meet certain norms. In some cases, it could take months that you're constantly reworking your commercials because they're not delivering. So, but yet smaller companies just want to throw it out there. They're the ones that, you know, don't necessarily have the money to waste yet they're willing to waste money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, I, I mean, I think there's a general business challenge there. People are in a hurry or they're looking at short-term results as opposed to stepping back and being more strategic and looking at, I guess, of the foundation of mm-hmm. the positioning. Why put out an ad that's, you know, I mean, I watch, you know, ads and, you wonder sometimes is the criteria creating an entertaining ad or an ad that's effective? And maybe they can be one in the same. But I imagine you know, if people want to put out a slick ad that communicates something that isn't compelling to customers, that would be a pitfall of rushing into the tactics.
1: Right. Well, you think about how many commercials you see on television, for example. And at the end you went, Who who is that company? <laughs> Who's it for? I mean, that just costs a lot of money. And we as consumers have no idea who the brand was maybe they said it at the end but we have no idea the relevancy of it and you know the media spend is expensive and of course production is expensive so to me they're just throwing dollars away with that and so that gets back to again thinking things through and especially when you come to social media and those kinds it's too easy i mean literally We could hit talk today, right now, and an hour from now, we could be you know buying ads on Facebook. I mean, it's it's that quick, and yeah, you could throw five hundred or a thousand or whatever number of dollars, and it's a hit and miss because we're not testing, we're not really trying to understand. I think that's kind of what this kind of digital world has done in a sense is it's just too easy to get out there without any thought and and really thinking things through
0: too easy to throw money away.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I've heard over and yeah. over again, I spent a lot of time in the action sports industry. And one of the things they used to tell me is, well, I could spend, you know, $5,000 on your research, but, you know, that'll buy me a couple ads. So I'll just do mm-hmm. that. You know, I don't mm-hmm. really, I have, you know, and so again, they were just not thinking things through and willing to toss money away. Yeah.
0: There was um, one example that you use uh, on, on your website, you mentioned earlier. Alcoholic beverages, and uh, I, I do like wine. And there was an example, um, you know. Again, I'm sure you know. Maybe you can tell the story generally um, about some of the work that you did. Um, I'd be curious how a winery, a wine brand, um, would be looked at this way. What, what were some of the things that you did that helped them boost demand and, and drive sales?
1: Sure. Well, I've got a couple different wine stories. Um... One, uh, I'll tell you real quick, which was an avoidance of a big mistake, is uh, there was a brand that was converting from a winery to a, and they wanted to reposition themselves as a coastal brand. That was going to be every every wine in their portfolio was going to be labeled coastal. There were some competitors out there. Well, here in Southern California, we went, hey, coastal, we'll go down and we'll take pictures of the ocean. Isn't that great and wonderful? It makes a lot of sense the last minute we hesitated and decided to do some market research and so we decided to get it out of california because the wine was sold nationally we traveled across the country to areas where bodies of water existed we basically said what does coastal mean to you it meant something very different to somebody sitting on the ocean versus sitting on a lake versus sitting on you know a river and so we realized the way we started to position it would have been totally wrong that it wouldn't have been relevant to frankly, most of the states in the, in the union here. So that was a huge mistake that we avoided. Um, One of the things that, um, and I go back to another wine brand, it was, they were having problems. It was once a very successful wine, still is, but you know, commanded a high price. It was a special wine. And one day the owner came to us and said, it's really lost its cachet and we, instead of buying it for $16 a bottle, you can now buy it for, you know, $5.95. You can find it at the local chili cook-offs. So people just stopped seeing it that way. And so we, we conducted some research. And what we found is the company was perceived as a big conglomerate owned by a faceless corporation, blah, blah. And so in understanding those perceptions, we were able to, through our advertising, was to change those. That was what we wanted to do. We wanted to change the perception of the brand. We had 26 attributes. 13 we wanted to see rise, like owned by a single owner. And the other 13 we wanted to see go down. And that's how we measured that on a quarterly basis. So talking about investing in research and understanding your customer. We, had, we kept a pulse on that brand. for We had them for eight years in our agency. And every quarter, we would do studies to make sure that things were moving in the direction that we wanted them to move. And and it's important because otherwise, you know, how do you communicate that? We didn't know. I mean, we got the, the, the owner to put signatures on the bottles to personalize them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of nuances in, on making that shift in behavior.
0: Yeah. Well, and one thing that stands out from your story there is the power of testing, an idea, you know, in entrepreneurship circles, that's been something that's been a big focus the last decade or, or longer of like, don't, don't have uh, what you think is a brilliant idea, work on it in isolation in a cave for two years and then launch. Like at some point you've got to go and test the idea, test the market, test the business model and and iterate. So it sounds like that was a key part of that coastal, like somebody I'm sure was convinced it was a great idea. And and I imagine sometimes people are afraid to test because they don't want to be, if you will, proven wrong. But I guess better to learn that early than it would be to be proven wrong in a large, expensive way, fair to say. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, a lot of companies, I I call it, you know, talking to themselves, sitting in the boardroom and making their own decisions. There's a story I tell, I won't mention the company name, but it was around 3D televisions. So Avatar came out, you know, everybody 3D was excited and three brands rolled out and were trying to be first to market with the 3D television. And one of them was, and their sales took off, all the early adopters. And about three to four years in, I think it was, it started to tank. And they eventually left the market. And it was traced back to a primarily a single reason is that they never did any research to find out how we as consumers would feel about wearing 3d glasses all the time to watch television it was that simple and and it came up in the in the study that i was reading that it was asked in the boardroom somebody brought it up and they were dismissed don't Mm -hmm. worry about it you know people will love this and so they did no no research no testing they just rush to market and you know five years later it was a failure.
0: Yeah, I think I had one TV that was probably purchased a decade ago that had 3D as a feature, but it was completely incidental to me. I never bought the glasses. I never tried to and, look and, and nowadays that you know, that's not even a feature anymore. They just say, okay, nope. Doesn't work. People aren't using it. Not compelling. That's not why people were buying a TV, I guess.
1: Yeah. So you know there's so many times that to your point earlier, have a great idea, you know, build it and they will come and, you know, the field of dreams and people spend countless hours, time, money to, to develop this product. They roll it out and nobody buys it. And it could be a fantastic product, but if you didn't, you know, do the marketing side and understand how to communicate and, you know, where to buy, where to reach people you know, you're, you're destined for, I won't say failure, but you're certainly destined for a hard time.
0: Sure. So Angelo, um, before we wrap up here, I do want to ask a little bit about your podcast, the business growth cafe. I imagine you talk about topics like this. Who who are the types of people you talk to on, on the podcast? What are some of the things you cover?
1: Sure. It's, it's a variety of folks. I mean, I'll, I try to get a lot of business owners, so small business, small, medium size. I get some startup folks on there. And part of it is the whole show is really about, like yours, business advice, lessons learned. And ultimately through those lessons, we're imparting some kind of wisdom <laughs> to to the listeners. Um, so, but I also have a lot of people like myself in the sense of, of uh, providers so, from sales and marketing to finance to operations, so a wide variety of folks. But I've got into people that deal with the, the mental health side of businesses. A lot of consulting, ghost book writers. So, really trying to nurture that entrepreneur and small business owner how they can you know utilize this information to move forward. I do do some solos, which I've done over the over the years. Um, sometimes I'm inspired. Sometimes I. I ran out of inventory on my, (laughs) on my shows and I had to do something really quick. Um, So yeah, that's, that's really the focus that it it came about. uh, I had guested on a few shows years back and I thought this is really interesting and cool. And, and I spent about four months actually working on the concept and how I wanted to approach it and, and then finally did it. And I'm in, you know, three and a half years now.
0: Well, great. So people can find, I'm sure, that podcast wherever they have found My Favorite Mistake. And um, you can also go to businessgrowthcafe.com. That'll forward to uh, the website for the podcast. Um, and again, you can learn more about Angelo's work at theponzigroup.com. But if if and when that na- uh, website changes before this is released, I'll make sure that the link in the show notes represents whatever the new branding and possible domain name might be.
1: Yeah, thank you. We're going to do redirects too. So um, that was another mistake that I, I learned from somebody else is they changed the name, they rebranded, launched a new website, and they killed the other site. So all their you know, SEO and all the work and their presence on on Google basically disappeared. And so that was a lesson learned from somebody else. So we're going to have two sites yeah. running at the same time.
0: Okay, well, good. Sometimes it is helpful to learn from other people's mistakes.
1: Yeah, That's absolutely.
0: One of the things I think that happens, maybe uh, listening here to my favorite mistakes. So, again, our guest has been Angelo Ponzi. Um, Angelo, really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing some of your perspectives, your stories, some thoughts on marketing. Really helpful, really good stuff.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I
0: really enjoyed it. Well, thanks again to Angelo Ponzi for being a great guest today. Uh, For links and show notes and more information about his firm's rebranding, which is now live, you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 120. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.